you have your Bibles this morning, please turn again to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 25. Last time we were together in this wonderful journey of redemption, we were blessed to contemplate the mercy seat where the blood of the Lamb was wiped by the high priest. And we learned from the New Testament that Christ is our propitiation. He is the propitiator. He is our mercy seat. And he's solid gold, isn't he? He's the most valuable thing in our hearts and in all the universe. And over him dwells the glory, and in him dwells the glory of God. Well, there's two other wonderful pieces of furniture that Moses talks about that would be in the holy place that we want to look at on this Lord's Day. And the title of our message is The Table and the Lampstand. The Table and the Lampstand. And so if you will, in Exodus chapter 25, we want to begin reading in verse 23 at these two wonderful pieces of furniture that were built according to the pattern that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai and try to bring out some precious truths about how that they represent and show us a type of the Lord Jesus Christ and His ministry, but also some of the typology there is also for us as the body of Christ and as the church of the living God. So let's begin in Exodus 25, beginning in verse 23. Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of a handbreadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover with all of pure gold shalt thou make them. And here's the, one of the beautiful things. And thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work, shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side, three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knop and a flower. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick, and in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under the two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same. All of it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, 
and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. And look, that thou make them after their what? Pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. So we have these two wonderful pieces of furniture. The table of the showbread that was in the holy place. We know that there was only one thing in the most holy place. We looked at it last time. The Ark of the Covenant where the mercy seat was. And only the high priest once a year was blessed uh, to go in there with the blood of the Lamb of the Atonement. But here in the holy place was the table of the showbread and and the candlestick and the, the priest were daily in this and weekly in this serving before the Lord. And they reveal to us some wonderful and great truths about the Lord Jesus Christ, about our salvation and of our work and ministry as the church of the living God. So I hope that we can dive into this and that you by faith can, can receive some of the, the truth in these wonderful types and shadows and It'll strengthen all of our lives. Uh, first scripture that I want to go to in the New Testament is found in 2 Corinthians. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we have this in the holy place, the lampstand, or as the King James calls it, the candlestick. Uh, I, I actually prefer the word lampstand better because there were actually no candles on this piece of furniture you know candle had wax with a wick in it and that's not what uh this piece of furniture was it was actually had oil that went through the wick and then the light was put on the wick and so it was really more of a lamp stand than something to do with with candles but uh the king james uh, translated candlestick so that's what we'll use as well but here in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4, we have a wonderful expression here about the Lord Jesus Christ and about salvation through Him. And one of the things that it really expresses here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse 6 is the twofold aspect of both regeneration and conversion. And these are two wonderful truths about salvation that we need to get right and that we need to hold to and appreciate so much in our lives. Now, regeneration is where the Holy Spirit alone, without any means, He comes into the hearts of the children of God and He gives them life. He borns them again. He makes them a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. And no conversion of anyone ever takes place unless first regeneration occurs in their life and that's that's the truth we must uh be given life from god himself it can come no other way there's no other way that a person can see the kingdom of god except they be what born again right but then uh i also believe that as there is no conversion without regeneration i believe also that there's no regeneration without conversion as well conversion is just as important as regeneration and conversion is when uh, the Holy Spirit uses means to bring that life and immortality to light 
that the Holy Spirit has done into the heart and mind and life of God's children. And uh, I love it, like examples like uh, Lydia. Remember the seller of purple when she, when Paul and them met with her down by the river where prayer was wont to be made. It says first that the Lord opened her heart and then she believed all the things that the Apostle Paul was teaching them about Jesus Christ. Well, here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have a beautiful expression. And we'll begin in, uh, let's just begin in verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. There are some people, beloved, that are never going to hear, they're never going to believe, they're never going to receive the gospel. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for God's sake. Now this all-important verse for every child of God to understand. And I'm, and I'm reaching back to the Old Testament because in this holy place, in this pattern of redemption and of salvation, we see this great light that is given in the lampstand. But the lampstand shines and shows forth to the table of the showbread where is the substance and fellowship of our salvation and of our life with Christ. We have the light and the life of God in our regeneration in the lampstand, and then we have our conversion and our sustenance and the life of our Christian life and our fellowship with God in the table of the shoe bread. And I think we see it both in this verse too. Listen, for God who commanded the light, think about the, the lampstand, to shine out of darkness. Now think about how it would have been in the holy place without the lampstand, without the candlestick. Yes, the showbread would have been there. Yes, the mercy seat would have been beyond the veil. But how to get there, how to see those things, how to partake of those things without the light, right? Without the life of God and without the light. So the light must be first. In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, right? We read in Genesis, and then we hear God move, and, and God, what, said, let there be light, and there was light. And so Paul is alluding back to that in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He said, just like God said, let there be light in the beginning of time, yeah, just as God let the light shine out of darkness, now He hath shined in our hearts. That's regeneration, beloved. That's the only way that we can see the kingdom of God. It's the only way that we can know God and love God is that God first loved us, that God moves in our hearts, in our lives. I think about Lazarus in the tomb, right? He was so dead, and we know that all of us are dead in, in trespasses and in sins. But Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you hath he quickened, you hath he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. But Jesus, the light of the world, uh, the light that lights every man, the, the, true, the way, the truth, and the life, he stood at that tomb of a dead man, who they said, Lord, by now he's already stinking. And he said, Lazarus, come forth, oh, the power of the life-giving voice of the Son of God. And the power of the light of God to give 
light where darkness was hath shined in our hearts. That's regeneration. But now we see that the conversion to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's regeneration and conversion. I just want you to see that beautiful overlay there of the scriptures from Old Testament in these types and shadows and patterns and then to the actual one who it's all about and the work that he has done for everyone in here who is a child of God. You have been regenerated by the Spirit of God, but also the Spirit of God has also converted you to a saving faith and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why you have the hope that you have. That's why you have the faith that you have in Him. And to Him be all the glory and praise. So this table, let's take it first. Number one this morning, it is the table of the Lord's presence. It is the table of the Lord's presence. That's what the word showbread means. It means the bread that is always before the face of God. Remember, we read that and he said in verse 30 of our text, And thou shalt set upon the table showbread, the bread of the face, the bread that's always before the presence of of God before me always. And who is always before the Lord and always with the Lord from everlasting to everlasting? He is the bread of life. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that is the true showbread. This showbread was also perforated. It was pierced. And that speaks of, of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that he was pierced and, and bruised for our transgression and by his stripes we are healed. It is the table of the Lord's presence. And let's always remember that it is His table. Can I, can I say what a wonderful truth that that is? It is His table. It is the Lord's table. It's not my table. It's not your table. It's not the Primitive Baptist table or any other denomination's table. But it is the Lord's table. It's the table of the King. Oh, and if you have a place at it today, are you not extremely blessed? I like to think about, I like to go with my spiritual imagination and think about the Levites every Sabbath day in the holy place, eating the showbread, drinking the wine that was there, just feasting like you remember those lepers uh, in uh, the story of the kings where uh, this great host had come out against uh, the city of Jerusalem and, and, uh, or, or the people of God and, and they... Uh, made a siege around the city and people were starving and uh, they turned and they prayed to the Lord and God sent an angel in and destroyed all the enemy and there was these lepers remember that were outside the city and they said man we're just fixing to die let's just go out to the enemy and see if they'll show us some mercy and they went out and they found out that all the enemy was gone and so they went into these tents of these kings and generals and they found all these riches and all this food and all this wine and they just you know they just started to dine and and drape themselves in in jewelry and gold and eat and drink and feast and they said you know what uh we're not doing what's right they said this is a this is a day of great victory we need to go back and and tell everybody about the great victory that god has 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 given to uh his people but i i just love to to think about the undeserving, uh, those that are, are cast out, how that God uh, cleanses us, sanctifies us, 
and allows us to come to his table. Do you feel worthy to be at the table today? I do not. I don't feel like that uh, it's a place where in and of myself that I would ever belong. But I love that story of the Syrophoenician woman, don't you? The woman who, whose daughter... Uh, was in such bad condition and she came and she just begged the disciples please help me and they just said just go away and don't bother Jesus but she just kept woman kept coming uh, to him and, and, G- and finally they said Jesus you know do something about this woman and he met with the woman and addressed her and she told him about her need and it, it almost sounds cruel what the Lord said to her do y'all remember what he said he said, is it right, is it meat to take the children's bread from the table and to give it to dogs? Man, but do y'all remember what she said? She said, Lord, that's true. She acknowledged her sinfulness. She, she acknowledged, Lord, I've forfeited any place that I had before you at your table. She said, but yay, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. From the master's table. That gives me hope today. That And the Lord uh, said, Lord, your faith is so... The Lord said to her, Woman, thy faith is so great. It's greater than anything I've seen in Israel. Being unto you as, as you have uh, believed. Oh, isn't it wonderful to know, though, that it's more than that for us. It's more than just dogs that are, are given crumbs. But Christ has said to you and I, sinners though we be, Come and dine at my table. Come and dine at the table of the Lord's presence. Go with me to 2 Samuel because we have a precious uh, illustration of that. This is the Lord's table. Moses and the artisans, they had to make it exactly as the Lord commanded and gave pattern of. I want you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now for a story in the life of King David. And they had to make it exactly. And they had to make the candlestick exactly as the Lord had said. And they had to put on the table exactly what the Lord said to be on that table. And make the bread exactly the way that the Lord said it. And and treat the instruments of it in in a holy, sanctified way. These are holy things that we're talking about today. I remember a story one time that they tell about a king that was traveling around to different castles in his land just to see uh, who was loyal to him, to see how his people fared. And he went around in disguise. This is a true story. And so they were having a, a feast at this one castle, and the king came in, and he just sat down uh, at a lower place where the servants and the common people were sitting. And he began to dine and eat with them and feast with them. And... Uh, some of the people there begin to recognize him, who that he was, and and the word trickled back up to the lord of the castle, the nobleman, and he came and said, "Oh, king, uh, uh, we're so thankful that you graced us with your presence, uh, but please uh, leave this uh, place and come up here and sit by us up here at this high place." And the king said, "Wherever the king is, that is the head of the table." Amen. Wherever the king is, that is the head of the table. This table of the showbread is the Lord's table. It's the table of the king of the universe. And can you not just, can your heart not just be smote with gratitude and with love 
and with the compassion and mercy of God that He has invited you, His kingdom priest, to come and dine at His table. What does it mean to have a table and to invite people to your table? It means that you love them. It means that you care for them. It means that, that they're precious to you and you break bread together and that you're at peace with one another. Amen. Oh, it's so beautiful. And so we know that David, after many years of hard times, he ascended to the throne. And remember that the promise that he made to his friend Jonathan. And David remembered his promise and he says in our text, Is there anybody left of the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? And they said, Lord, there's the one lame boy, this, this boy that is lame on both feet. His name was Mephibosheth. Y'all remember Mephibosheth? He was dropped. Right? Any of you ever felt like you were just dropped off? <laughs> right? In this world, people, man, I see it every day. But isn't it wonderful that there's Davids that care, remember the promises, and care for the Mephibosheths. And truly, in a spiritual way, we're all Mephibosheths. We don't belong at the table. We were the enemies of the king. But he has made peace with us through the blood of his son, through that mercy seat. And because of that mercy seat, we're able to come into holy things and to partake of the table of the Lord's presence. Well, I just want you to see some of the truths here and, and just notice the allusions that are made to the table here. Second Samuel, um, I think I'm in the wrong one. I am in the right one. Yeah. Is there any yet left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness of Jonathan's sake? Amen. So uh, go to verse 7. This is beautiful. And David said unto him, Fear not. So if you're feeling unworthy today, if you feel like, man, I don't deserve any place at this table. Eh? Brother Nathan, you're talking about something that doesn't uh, belong to me. Oh, beloved, may your... Like that song says, may my eyes light on some sweet promise there, some sure hope against despair. Here it is. Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake, and I will restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father. And listen to this. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. So they'll go down to verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both feet. So we're getting some beautiful truths here. It's not that we don't need to be sanctified of the priest that came into the holy place. They, they had to be sanctified by the Lord to come and partake, uh, partake of these holy things. But isn't it beautiful that these other instances that we've read, Jesus to the Syrophoenician woman, even the dogs eat the, eat the crumbs of the master's table. Mephibosheth, the little lame son that was the enemy, is invited to eat at the king's table all the days of his life, like, just like one of David's sons and, and princes. Oh, beloved, isn't it wonderful that this table is the table of the king of the universe, and he has said to hungry sinners, come and dine at my table. I love... Uh, what it says about the one of the neat truths to me about this table is the border around it did you notice that he 
he said, uh, you're going to make the table certain dimensions. He said, but then you're going to make uh, a border around it. It was probably about this tall and then a crown on the border. And it was for a very practical purpose that the things that were on the table wouldn't ever fall off. Um, and, and so we see that our God is, is very pragmatic in a lot of ways. But I think when we look at it in regards of salvation, we can see our eternal security, can we not? This double border around the table to keep it safe, to keep it secure. And so we read about our salvation that we're kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. That Jesus says, of all that the Father giveth me, I have lost nothing, but I'll raise it up again at the last day. That he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance and life everlasting. And on and on and on with the great scriptures. Uh, he that has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, uh, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand because they're in my hand. And then the Father's hand is over my hand and none can pluck them out of my Father's hand. So we see this great eternal security in the perseverance and preservation of the people of God in this wonderful border and crown that was around the table of the shewbread where these 12 loaves that, that the shewbread does represent Christ but also represents the unified people of God. Every tribe, no matter how big or how small, had equal representation in the presence of the Lord. And that speaks also of the church of the living God. There's no big I and, and little you. There's every one of us in here that are saved, are saved by the same blood, by the same grace. We're born again by the same Spirit of God. We'll all be brought to the same inheritance of the saints in light. And so this is the table of the Lord's presence, the table of the King of the universe this it's protected by this border and crown it has these uh 12 loaves of showbread this bread of the lord's presence that's what it's called showbread the the bread of the lord's presence he said this bread will be before me always now they would it was 12 loaves there was six on one side six on the other and we know that they are, of course, representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. And like we said, that they all had an equal place. Now, the different tribes didn't go in and, and eat of these themselves. But the priest, as the representatives of the people, they did eat of this showbread. And they ate, and they ate of every loaf so that each tribe would be represented before the presence of the Lord. So what I what I love about this bread is that like we said before it was perforated. It was it was torn. It was it was broken. And that speaks of of Christ so much and of his flesh and how that he was willing to be um beaten. He was willing to be scourged. He was willing to be uh crucified uh uh for us. But also I love about this, if you study through this, and I begin to learn my granddaddy, my grandfather, Jerry Hunt Sr., uh, some of you saw uh, the presentations that he did of the tabernacle. And I always wondered 
when I was young, why he loved that so much, why he loved to study about that so much and share it so much. Beloved, it's because it's also beautiful. <laughs> it's also rich. Uh, uh, the things that I'm giving you from the pulpit in these studies are just kind of like the highlight, top shelf things of uh, the blessings of these truths. So many other things that I've studied about this that have been so rich to my own soul. But in this showbread, there was also frankincense that was on the table, and the frankincense was put and rubbed on on uh, this showbread. And so we think about the aroma of Christ uh, and the aroma that comes into our lives as well through our union with Christ. The, you know, beloved, we just have a peace that the world doesn't have. We, we have a hope that the world knows, knows nothing of. Our lives have been perfumed. And, and we, our lives also must be willing to be perforated just as the Lord's was. We have to be willing to uh, suffer and, and to uh, uh, be the body of Christ in this world as he told us that we would be. And so this, these lows were pierced and, and perfumed just as Christ also, beloved, is, is perforated just as he is perfumed and just as he does in our own lives. And like we said, it, it speaks of our equality in Christ and the fullness of God's provision for us. So the message is come and dine at God's feast for his saints and priests. What a, what a beautiful invitation of the Lord. Come and dine. Come to this table so it is the table of the Lord's presence. Secondly, it is the table of the Lord's provision. It is the table of the Lord's provision. Beloved, we can bring nothing to add to this table. Amen? All that we can bring to this table is our faith that has been given to us by God and our relationship with Christ that has been given to us by God. But we come to this table and, and we see how wonderful a providing God that we had everything that was necessary, the bowls, the spoons, the frankincense, uh, the bread, the dishes, everything was provided for by God. And so it is with our salvation as well. So to him be all the glory and praise and we take none uh, for our own. The question is, do we want and love what God gives? Go with me again to the New Testament to 1 Corinthians where uh, Paul mentions this in the Corinthian letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Beautiful truth here. Because kind of what we get caught up in is the same thing that our first parents got caught up in, and that is that what God gives is not enough, right? That's exactly how the devil got them. God had given them paradise. God had given them perfect bodies that, didn't experience pain, that didn't experience sickness. He just told them that there's one thing that I want you to stay away from. It's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God gave them every reason not to go after that. But Eve listened to the hiss of the serpent and said, uh, there's something that God is holding back from you. 
There's something more that you need. Go and get something more than what God would have for your life. And that's why so many people get so far astray. They ruin and wreck their lives because they made the determination that what God has given is not what is really best for me or what can fulfill my needs. But that's the lie of the devil, isn't it? Beloved, never believe that what you can get for your life is better than what God can give to you. So here, Apostle Paul is talking about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, are you there with me? In verse 21, he said, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the whose table? The Lord's table and of the table of the devil. So this is very important, isn't it? There's a choice that has to be made in our lives. Do I desire, do I want the things of this world and am I going to go after those things? Or do I want to come by faith to the table of the Lord and know that if I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that all these things will be added unto me. The priest of the Lord, beloved, never lacked for anything. They were always provided for by the Lord. And I love what Abraham called the Lord in Mount Moriah when God provided the ram for the sacrifice and spared Isaac. He said, I call this place Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord who provides. We serve a Jehovah-Jireh, and he leaves nothing undone. And it's beautiful to think about here every Sabbath day that the priests ate and drank like kings before the Lord every week. You know, and that's what really the church is for us. This is the holiest of holies. And so just as they, every Sabbath day, came in there and they ate that bread and they drank that wine and they dwelt in the light of the golden candlestick. So we have that in the New Testament church. Isn't that wonderful? Why would we ever have any reason to miss out on that? I I said it begs the question that we would always want to take every opportunity that we had to be at the Lord's table, to be in the Lord's presence, to receive and benefit from what He has provided for our lives, both naturally and spiritually. All right, so there's the table of shoe bread, and uh, much more can be said about that, but we are going to press on and now move our attention to the lampstand, the lampstand, or as the scripture says, the candlestick. So, interesting the the distinction between the the uh, showbread and the uh, candlestick. If you noticed that the table of the showbread, that it was made up of wood, acacia wood or shittim wood, they called it this very strong wood, and it was overlaid with gold, which we've told you speaks of both the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Christ as one. And uh, that's a beautiful truth. But we noticed that there were just two pieces of furniture that were made out of complete, pure gold. One was the mercy seat that we talked about last time, the most valuable of everything, of anything that existed in Israelite life. The most valuable possession 
was the mercy seat, not just because it was made out of pure gold, but we said because it had the blood of the lamb upon it, right? And it's one of the things that most represent Christ. Well, then the other, only other piece of furniture that was made completely out of pure gold was the golden lampstand or candlestick. Did you notice that? That it was made of beaten work. Oh, and if this doesn't touch your heart about the light of the world, about the Lord Jesus Christ, how he was bruised for our iniquities. He was beaten for our transgressions. And with his stripes, we are healed. This was beaten work of pure gold. This lampstand was the lampstand. This is point number three. The lampstand of the Lord's light. Oh, is not Jesus Christ to you and to me the very beacon of heaven's light and love and mercy and grace to us. It is all in Him. He is all light, is He not? And in Him is no darkness at all. This lampstand of the Lord's light, this, this number of perfection, seven lights to light up the holy place, to give them light so they might partake of the bread of the Lord's presence and and receive that bread with frankincense and and uh, dine with the Lord in His light. Go with me to John chapter eight, the Gospel of John, chapter eight, as as Jesus mentions this thought, and it's precious to us. John chapter eight, Jesus is the beacon of heaven's love, grace, and mercy. He is the pure gold of heaven. God is light, beloved, right? This then is, the, this is uh, 1 John 1, 5, right? You all know it. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And here in John 8 and verse 12, isn't this beautiful? What Jesus would say in the gospel and John would remember it and write it down for all of us. Then spake Jesus again unto them saying, I am am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Beloved, be so thankful for the light that you've been given. That light that we read at the beginning of this message shines in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, He is the light of of the world, this candlestick was the only light that was uh, of this nature in the holy place and it, and the holiest of holies. And so, also, we see in here the beauty, the light of the gospel, because the gospel reveals who the children of God, God are, and the gospel reveals the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that the Scripture says that the gospel shows that the gospel is, it brings, that, we're, that life and immortality are brought to light through the gospel. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. It reveals, it is of a revealing nature. And so Christ also revealed himself as the true light of the world. And he is pure light and true light. May I hasten to say again, pure, solid gold, a light that never dims. A light that is never darkened. Do y'all know that when we get to heaven, there's not a sun or a moon or any stars? 
but the whole place is pure light just emanating out of God himself and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I long to see that light, beloved, and, and bask in its glory. So there's a lot of things being shown here. Jesus Christ, also uh, the nature of, of the gospel, of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, this great light that has come into our minds and, and illumined us to the things of God. I uh, just want to go with you uh, to one of the great prophecies in the Old Testament that speaks of this and speaks of it very powerfully. It's going to be hard for you to find. It's the book of Zechariah. See, challenge yourself here now <laughs> and see if you can beat me. Zechariah chapter 4. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. And there's a, a beautiful picture here of this uh, candlestick and what it means and what it's going to represent. Very, very beautiful. This light, beloved, that is never going to go out in this world. And I'm so glad that I can promise you that it's never going to go out in your heart or in your life either. Aren't you thankful to know that? You know, there's some things physically about us that are going to come to an end. We might lose our eyesight. Uh, the, the windows, the eyes are the windows of the soul it's through which light comes and the light refracts and we're able to see. We might lose our natural vision. We might lose our mental capacities. But that light of God that dwells within in Christ through the Holy Spirit, it's never going to go out, beloved. Isn't that wonderful? And so we see this a beautiful picture here. Zechariah 4, are you with me? We'll begin in verse 1. And the angel that taught with me came again and waked me as a man that is waking out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of what? Gold with a bowl upon the tops of it, and his seven lamps thereon, this beautiful menorah, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel and that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the, answer, then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto him, Knowest thou not what these be? And he said, No, my Lord. And he answered and spake unto, thee, unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. How does salvation come? Not by power, not by might, but by the spirit of the Lord. See, this is even more representative of Christ than even the, the golden candlestick. The, the golden candlestick or, or lampstand in the holy place, they had to take the, the olives, the best olives, and they had to crush them and put them in the press and let the oil sit. This is like a lot of the things, like if you went into all these things, I would be up here for 20 days. There's so much beautiful truth and beauty just in that of them taking, because what is Gethsemane and, and Christ in Gethsemane, all that speaks to these things. And then the knops and the almonds and the flowers speak of the resurrection 
of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and so much and so much more. But the, anyway, the oil, it had to be left and, and the impurities came out and then they would draw out the very best of the olive oil and they would pour it uh, weekly and as needed into uh, the lampstand so that there continued to be light for the wicks and energy uh, for the light. But here in this picture, these two olive trees are, are feeding. Do you, do you notice that? They are the, the olive trees are on either side of the lampstand in the prophecy, and they're coming in and they're feeding a continual source of oil into the lamp so that the light and the energy of it never go out. Oh, beloved, so much beautiful truth in that. But I just wanted you to see that this is a light, the light of the world. The light of the Lord's life is something that will never go out in this world. The devil has been trying to stamp it out, right? He hates the light of the world. He loves his is the kingdom of darkness. Aren't you glad that you've been translated from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of, of his dear son? That God's light has come into your soul that not only his light, but his life. Because light and life are often described as one in the scripture, that it's never going to go out in your life. Even as hard as the devil tries to put it out. And doesn't the devil try hard? I remember in the book Pilgrim's Progress, that beautiful scene where there's this fireplace. And Christian's able to see on both sides of the fireplace. And there's this flame in the middle of the fireplace. And on one side, the devil is taking buckets of water. And they've got a... Uh, what is it called when you have the buckets of water lined up? Somebody, help yeah, yeah, the bucket brigade, yeah. And uh, so they're trying to, the devil's just pouring buckets of water on the fire, and he's so mad because the flame just keeps uh, building up. And But what he doesn't know is that Jesus is on the other side of the fireplace, and he's just putting oil to the flame, oil to the flame, oil to the flame, so that it never goes out. The lampstand of the Lord's light is also the lampstand of the Lord's life. And isn't it wonderful that we can reflect His light in this world through the life that He has given to us. It reflects the, the lampstand and the seven uh, lamps that were on it. reflects the unity and perfection of the Holy Spirit and Jesus in the salvation of sinners. It was always present in the day there, but it was only lit at night for the priest to use, Exodus 27, 20 through 21. And it's wonderful that now we are the Lord's lampstands. For did he not tell us in the Sermon on the Mount, ye are my lights, ye are the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill that cannot be moved. Just want to read you a couple more scriptures before we close. Not only is the lampstand of the Lord's light, but it also is representative of the Lord's life. And here in uh, John chapter 1, I just want you to see this and remember the words of John as well, and then we have one more scripture to go to. John chapter 1, this is so beautiful. If you would turn there for verses 4 through 9, <clears throat> look at the, the overlay here of both of these concepts, both light and life. So we might as well go to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hallelujah. 
The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Now listen. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Do you see that? And the light shined in the darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the what? The light. That all men through him might believe he was not that light. That is John the Baptist. But was sent to bear witness of that light. That's what we're doing too, beloved. We have no light of our own. Just like the moon. The moon doesn't have any light of its own. All that the moon does is reflect the light of the sun, right? And so we also, as his candlesticks, as his lighthouses, as his city, we receive our light from him. And so it says, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And so for our last scripture on the candlestick, so that you might know that this is not only a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also of His blessed church, which we are a part of, that the light that we have has been given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see this. This is, this is so beautiful. Go with me, lastly, to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. We read of this as well, and we'll close with this today. And thank you all for, for your good attention. I hope that these things are a blessing to you right now in this moment, but then as you go through life and you think about these things and you go through these things, that they'll even be a blessing to you through the years as you meditate on them and rejoice in them. So here in the book of Revelation chapter 1, we turn here toward uh, verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, what He is doing is He is walking among His churches that, and His people that he has lit with his life and love. He's walking and fellowshipping among his candlesticks. He said, Brother Nathan, how do you know that the candlesticks are churches? Because John tells us at the end of the chapter, doesn't he? He wants to know, what are, what are these things? Verse 20, And the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So, in this wonderful, here in this most holy place, we are invited to come and dine with the Lord. Bread, wine, dishes have all been prepared. And then the light of life of God lights up uh, the room. And we feast and dine with the Lord of glory, before His presence, before the mercy seat. Oh, and what a blessing that it is now, beloved, that we, next week, we will come to the Lord's table in the New Testament. Jesus established uh, the Lord's Supper 
our communion with him. We'll have that unleavened bread and that wine that represents his body and his blood. We'll come to his table. And beloved, we'll try to continue here to be his candlestick. Be, take his light with you and, and cherish it and let it light up your life and soul. May the Lord bless you and keep you as I pray.